0: Well, good morning, everyone. I'm excited to have this time to share God's word with you all. Um, I saw somebody post a, a meme that uh, because of the spring forward, I get to preach for two hours instead of just one. So uh, we're going to be ready for that this morning. Uh, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 5. Uh, we've been in this series uh, from the book of Acts. Pastor Mark has been taking us through sections, and um, we would have been up to this point by now. Uh, he's a little bit behind, but uh, when we talked about me filling in for him this Sunday, we decided that I would take Acts chapter 5. And at first, I thought it was a joke, because if, if you know the names Ananias and Sapphira, that's the passage we're looking at today. I thought, oh yeah, I get to preach on that. And then it was like, oh seriously, I get to preach on that. And so uh, if you're not familiar with those names in this section of scripture, today's going to be a good uh, introduction to uh, a pretty difficult topic It's not an easy passage to teach, but I just really felt that the Lord was was speaking uh, through it. And I think he's going to remind us some really important things as we get into this this morning. So if you have your Bibles, we're actually going to begin reading in Acts chapter 4, verse 32. It kind of sets the scene for what's happening in Acts chapter 5. I'm reading out of the NIV. If you want to follow along in your translation, it'll be very similar. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostle called Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Let's pause right there before we get into chapter five. And it just sets the scene for what was happening among the believers in the early church. God was at work. The gospel was spreading. Uh, I love verse 32. It says that the believers were of one heart and one mind. Everybody was bought in to the work of the gospel. And lives were being changed and the gospel was spreading to new communities and and new areas. And this was the beginning of what we are experiencing here today. This was the beginning of the early church. And it was people who were sold out for the Lord, who knew the extent of the life change that can come from a new life in Christ. And they were willing to give everything and, and, and share everything that they had because they knew it was worth it for the advancement of the gospel. It's an exciting time in the life of the church here. And and it's exciting to, to read through Acts and just to see how God was at work and just to see the example of these believers and just how much they were pouring into the work of the Lord. And that brings us to chapter five. So you see that these people were sharing what they had, and, and, and so now we have this account of Ananias and Sapphira, beginning in verse one of chapter five. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept kept for yourself some of the money that you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And a great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, carried him out, and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband and great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about those events. Makes you think twice about the offering time during the service, right? So, so we have this interesting situation, this, this drastic display of God's judgment and power on the early church. And this is one of those passages that's difficult because, you know, we talk so much about the love and the grace and the mercy and compassion of of God as displayed in in Jesus Christ. And even the apostles and those in the early church, that was, you know, what they were living in and living through is is they had experienced Jesus and they had seen God's love manifest in Christ. And and, and so we we talk so much and and, and emphasize God's love so much, but there's this other aspect to God and that's his righteousness. Judgment and His power, and we see that at work here in this passage. And you know, this is a difficult passage because it's it's one of those scripture passages that that those who are against God or, or struggling or, or doubting whether God is worth following, they'll point to passages like this or or passages in the Old Testament and say, "How can we follow a God who who can just strike you down? How can you follow a God who's who's willing to end?" Lives. That's a vindictive, that's not a loving God. Why would you follow that? And I've had conversations with those who are atheists or those who are struggling through their faith, and, and, and these are some of the topics that they can get hung up on. And, and there's not an easy answer to these questions, but I think some of the answer is found in the last verse that we read, verse 11 of chapter 5, where it tells us that great fear sees the whole church and all who heard about these events. See, God is to be feared. And yes, he's loving and yes, he's merciful and yes, he's compassionate. We're gonna talk about that. But sometimes we sugarcoat the idea of the fear of the Lord. And I've done it. I've taught about, oh, yeah, you don't have to be scared of God. You you know, he loves you, and and he's got grace and mercy. And those things are true. But I think that sometimes we, we get away from understanding the fear of God. Not that we should be scared, but we should be scared because just like Ananias and Sapphira, he could end us at any moment. But we get carried up with our normal lives, and we take God for granted, at least I know I can, and we lose some of that fear of the Lord. And I believe what God was doing in this situation in Acts is with the new early church, these believers who were just gathering together and just beginning God's plan for the church, God wanted to make sure that they understood that this is serious business. The gospel is a matter of life and death, eternal life and death. The church is, is God's tool to to spread that message of of life and eternal life to the world. This isn't something that we should take casual. Our faith in Christ isn't something that should be put on the side. God is to be feared. And here he displays his power and his righteous judgment as an example for all those watching. Now let me clarify before I get more into this idea of the fear of the Lord, because that's really what we're going to talk about this morning. But let me clarify about Ananias and Sapphira they, their mistake wasn't not giving all of the money, right? So I, I, I want to make sure that, because that's another thing. If, if people are against God or against the church, oh, the church is all about money. And this is a passage that shows, see, they didn't give their money and they were struck down dead. That's not what this passage is about. And Peter, in his explanation to Ananias, even said, hey, you know, you could have done whatever you wanted with the money, but you had committed to give it all." to the church and the work of the gospel, and then you lied and withheld some. You made a selfish choice, and, and, and being selfish and lying is a sin. And so their sin wasn't not giving everything. Their sin was lying about what they had committed to give. And we see that in the New Testament later on. Paul talks about uh, being a generous giver and give what you've decided in your heart to give is what Paul instructs the church in 2 Corinthians chapter nine. So it's not a matter of did they give everything they should have and that's why they were struck down. It was a matter that they withheld and they made a selfish choice and they lied not just to men, Peter said, but to God. So this passage, once again, it shows us the seriousness of sin and the consequences and and also the the power and the might of a God who is beyond what we can fathom. You know, the word um, fear of the Lord, it's a term uh, that's used throughout the scriptures. Um, It's over 300 times in the scriptures, the word fear is used in reference to God. Proverbs 1.7 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So this idea of fearing God or the fear of the Lord is, is foundational to have a proper understanding or a proper relationship or a proper response to God. Now I want you to think about what you know in the scriptures about when humans encountered the supernatural. A God or a manifestation of God or even an angel of God. What was the first thing that angels always told people when they appeared before them? Do not be afraid, right? So there's already a sense, like there's fear when we encounter God or something supernatural that comes from God, there's a sense of fear that we naturally take. Because he's beyond what we could fathom. He's beyond what we could imagine. And so even angels, who aren't even God, they're created by God, instill this sense of fear because they're just more than we in our human minds can handle. So their first words were always, hey, do not be afraid. Right? If we were to translate it differently today, it would be like, hey, chill. It's okay. I'm coming from God. I've got good news for you. Right? Right? So we see that fear is a natural response to the things of God because he is more powerful than we can imagine. He's beyond our understanding. So imagine when we encounter God himself. There's a few scriptural examples of that. I'm going to read you a few. Um, We see in Genesis chapter 32, Jacob encounters God. He actually wrestles with God. And at the end of that encounter, he says, I have seen God face to face Yet my life has been preserved. These verses I'm gonna to read to you all show this, this sense of people who experience God personally and feel lucky to be alive. They feel fortunate to be able to live and tell about it. So Jacob was one of them. In Genesis 32. Another one was uh, when the Israelites were watching Moses go up on the mountain. This is in Exodus 20 and they would see the thunder and lightning and the cloud covering the mountain and Moses was up there talking with God and when he came down the the verses 18 through 20 of Exodus 20 tell us that the Israelites trembled with fear and they pleaded for Moses to speak to them because they didn't want to hear from God directly. They were so fearful of what was happening with the the scene of the mountain and the thunder and the lightning and the cloud that they didn't even want to deal with that. They said, Moses, please speak to us because if God were to speak to us, we would surely die. That's what their exclamation or their response was. In Judges 13, there was a man named Manoah and he told his wife, we are doomed to die because we have seen God. This was after speaking with an angel The angel of the Lord. Many of you are familiar with a very uh, common passage about Isaiah in chapter six standing before God and and having this amazing uh, viewpoint of the throne of God. And you might know his words. He says, Woe is me, I am ruined. Because of what he's experienced. He's seeing the glory of God. And his, his response is, is fear and trembling. And all of them are lucky to be alive because they've witnessed something that is far beyond what our human minds can comprehend. There's a natural sense of fear in the presence of God because he's powerful. He's mighty. He's beyond what we can imagine. Amen? So God should be feared. When we really look at the term, the fear of the Lord, there's a few things that that scripture shows us what that word fear means. It doesn't mean phobia. It doesn't mean being scared of something or or wanting, wanting to necessarily run and hide from it but it's a sense that instills something within us and it's a multifaceted concept or word. The fear of the Lord, I'm gonna give you a few bullet points here for what the fear of the Lord is and what it refers to when we see it in scripture. Number one, it's a respect for God. It's a reverence for who he is, a respect and a, and a reverence. You could even say ah. It's a sense of honor because you know that you're, you're in the presence of someone who is greater or more powerful or more important than you. So it instills a sense of honor. There's humility attached to the phrase, the fear of the Lord. You, you're humble because you realize that he's God and, and you're not. There's a great awareness of, of humility. There's an awareness that God is, is watching you at all times, that he's present at all times. So that awareness is, is part of the fear of the Lord is you're, you're thinking of that. Like God is, God is here with us. God's right here with me. When I'm by myself, God is aware of what's going on in my thoughts, in my actions, in my words. So it's an awareness that he's with us and watching us. It's an understanding that he's bigger than you. And I'm, I'm gonna get to that in just a moment because that's, that's something I think we lose sight of. It's realizing that he must not be taken lightly. It's realizing that there's consequences when we refuse to obey or honor him. It's a realization that those consequences apply to you and to me. It's not just for others. We are also subject to the consequences that come from a refusal to obey or acknowledge God in our lives. It's also, there's a sense of obedience attached to the phrase, the fear of the Lord. It's, it's a matter of staying on track in obedience to his ways. And it's kind of as a result of understanding who he is, you're gonna follow his path because you realize what's at stake if you don't. And finally, it's a realization that if God were to judge you, there would be no appeal. Right? If God were to judge you, He's the final word. So these are all concepts or, or, or facets of this idea of the fear of God or the fear of the Lord. It's not just, oh yeah, he, he's God. It's, it's a sense of, man, if God is who he says he is, then I'm, I'm just not worthy to even be in his presence in, in, in any way. And again, over 300 mentions of the word fear relating to our relationship with God in the Bible. But you know what? These are just words. So I'm gonna give us a, a little physical picture to deal with. And I've asked a couple of our students to help me uh, as a volunteer. So Logan, will you come up here real quick? Uh, this is Logan Jimenez. He's uh, one of the students in our youth ministry. And I'm gonna to get to spend the week with him and several of our other students. We begin our Spring Break Mission Outreach Week this, uh, tonight. We're going to be here in El Paso serving around the city. Uh, Logan, can you hold this for me? Uh, what is that? It's a, ping ball. a ping pong ball. All right. Well, today, that's the wrong answer. Okay. Today, that's going to represent earth. Okay. So what is that? Earth. Very good. Right kid. All right. So I want you to, to look at earth right here. And I want you to find where we are. El Paso, Texas. Okay. <laughs> the star right there. Oh, you're going to go with the star. Okay. Cool. All right. So. If that's El Paso, can you pinpoint where we are literally, physically right here? Probably be somewhere towards like the, the bottom half. Okay, so somewhere in that star. All right, let me hold that up just so everybody can see. So, so Logan is telling us that we are standing right, right here, okay? So this is earth. And Logan, that's you, okay? And then I'm like right there, okay? Just hold that up for us a little bit. Okay, now I want, I want to give this, I want to use this as an illustration, okay? If you're into science, I, I fact check this, so, so bear with me. Um, if, that, if that ping pong ball is going to represent earth, and, and it, it, we already see them, and I mean, we're too small to even be recognized, even on this example. But just imagine yourself somewhere on that ping pong ball that represents earth, um, it just gives you a sense of scale, right? But I need somebody else. So, Caleb, you're kind of back there. So, Caleb Murkowski, he's a senior in our youth ministry. He's going to graduate this year, and he's a big guy. And so, Caleb's uh, uh, what about six foot two, something like that? Okay, this is going to work perfect. All right. So, uh, Logan, I'm going to have you take Earth, and I want you to come right down here on the floor. And, Caleb, I want you to stand right here on this platform. All right. I'm going to give you a sense of scale. Uh, Caleb is going to represent the sun okay so so Logan has earth and Caleb's going to represent the sun if earth was the size of this ping pong ball the sun Caleb can you put your hands straight up in the air this that's about 15 feet from floor to the tip of his hands that would be the size of the sun compared to earth if earth was the size of a ping pong ball okay I'm just going to leave you there for a while is that all right No, I'm just kidding. You're done. All right. Logan, if you can hand me that ball and and you guys can go sit down. Thank you for for your uh, participation real quick. Okay. So you guys have gotten a a sense of scale. This is earth. The sun would be the size of about a 15 foot ball in comparison. Okay. You can put 960,000 earths inside the sun. Okay, that's enough ping pong balls to fill two school buses full. That's how many Earths can fit inside the sun. But the sun is just one of hundreds of billions of stars in our galaxy. And Milky Way is our galaxy, if you weren't sure about that. And that's only one of many galaxies that are known. Okay, so what I'm going to try and help us is get a scale of who we are and who God is. Let me tell you about some of the bigger stars that are larger than the sun. There's one called Arcturus and Arcturus is a star about 26 times the size of the sun. And to put that in perspective, if this was earth, Arcturus would be the size of this building. Okay. So we're right here. Remember we're right there. And Arcturus is one of stars and it's the size of this building it would take you uh, two, 22.6 billion Earths to fit inside of Arcturus. And, and just to give you a sense of billions real quick, if you counted one Earth every second, it would take you 716 years to count to 22.6 billion. Betelgeuse is the name of a star, That's 427 light years away from Earth. Real quick, a light year is 5.88 trillion miles. So 427 times 5.88 trillion miles. I should have asked our senior in high school if he could calculate that for us. It's twice the size of Earth's orbit around the sun. If Earth was this ping pong ball, Betelgeuse would be the size of six Empire State buildings stacked on top of each other. And it's just a star. There's a bigger one. it's called Museffi. Museffi is a star 3,000 light years away. If Earth was the size of this ping-pong ball, Musefi would be the size of two Golden Gate bridges in diameter. You could fit 2.7 quadrillion Earths inside of Musefi. And yes, quadrillion is a real number or a word. Um, Sometimes we just throw those out there, right? But let me give you a sense of how many that is. So if we were to count a million seconds, it would be 12 days. If we were to count a billion seconds, if we went backwards a billion seconds, we'd be in October 1974. And no, I was not born yet. A trillion seconds ago would take us back 30,000 years. A quadrillion seconds is almost 31 million years. The universe is so large that you can fit 2.7 quadrillion Earths inside of one of the stars, and it's not even the largest known star that's been discovered yet. That one is called Canis Majoris, known as the big dog star. This is to date The largest, unless they've found something within the last few months. If the earth were the size of this ping pong ball, Canis Majoris would be the size of Mount Everest. Okay, anyone been there, by the way? Mount Everest? Okay, if you were standing on Mount Everest, you would see this. This would be the size of earth in comparison. Imagine being on the top of the highest point on the planet and trying to spot El Paso, Texas. On earth, seven quadrillion earths can fit inside of the big dog star. That's enough golf balls or ping pong balls to cover the entire state of Texas, 22 inches deep. That's how many uh, earths can fit inside. And these are just the stars in our galaxy. These are just the stars that, that have been discovered. And we're right there. Now, you didn't come to church for a, a science or astrology. No, that's not right. Astronomy, right? Astronomy lesson. <laughs> but I want to tie this back to why I'm talking about this. Listen to what the scriptures says, say about the universe. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Psalm 19-1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Psalm 147, verses four and five, he determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. Psalm eight, three through four. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you're mindful of them? human beings that you care for them. Psalm 95, four through seven. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his for he made it. His hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he's our God and we're the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. We should fear God. He's given us all of that and we are here and he's given us an opportunity to know him and we can take it so for granted that we can just make it like something that's just a whatever part of our life. But here he is, he holds all of these things in his hand and we're these tiny little specks. And if we lose sight of that, Two things can happen, and I think this characterizes back to Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, and why God displayed his power in a shocking way to reinstill fear of God into the lives of the early believers. Two things can happen if we don't fear God. Number one, we can think that we're too important, right? We can think that we're way bigger than this speck on this ball. And life can become about us. If we don't fear God and then we can make ourselves God and, and, and we can you know, believe that everything needs to revolve around us so, so we can make ourselves too important if we lose sight of the fear of the Lord. And the second thing that can happen is that we can see sin as not important enough. And the, and the, 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 the consequence of sin or the effects that sin have, we can, be, we can just sugarcoat it. Right? So we can become too important and sin is not important enough or a concept of it. And we lose sight of those things and we lose sight of the impact and the amazing things that can happen through us when we do fear God, when we do look to him, when we do recognize him as the creator, the maker, and, and, and the one who holds everything, including our lives, in his hand. God wanted the early church. Not just those who were believers and part of the church. He wanted those who are observing the church to, to see the importance and, and see that the fear of the Lord is nothing to be taken lightly. That God is not just something that we consider and maybe put on the side and maybe make a decision about our thoughts on him at some point in our life. It's everything. He's everything. And the fear of the Lord brings us back to that and gives us that foundation to base our lives upon that it's not about us. It's about a holy, amazing, all-powerful, all-present, creator God, who's mighty and majestic, who's holy and perfect and is beyond what you and I can fathom. We need to fear God. So real quick, we talked about The meaning of that phrase, the fear of the Lord. And and I gave you several bullet points summed up in the idea that, that it's a respect and it's acknowledgement. It's an obedience. Let me just clarify before we move on what the fear of God is not. Because this is the good news is that even though God could end us at any time, the fear of God is not being terrified that God is going to get you. He can, but that's not the fear of the Lord. The fear of God is not feeling that it isn't safe to approach him. It's really not safe to approach him, but he's made it safe. He's made it possible for us to approach him. The fear of God is not believing it's impossible to please him and therefore dreading him or pushing him away. Those are not examples of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is that respect, that awe, that acknowledgement. But then this is the awesome part is that we see that God demonstrates his love for us. Romans 5, 8. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Hebrews four sixteen says that even though God is way more than we can handle... It says that we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I could go on. Even though He's above everything, He knows you. He knows me. These specks on this little ball. And He doesn't just know you, He gave everything so that you could know him. And it's not just so we have that one-time thing. No, he even said, I'm going to give you me inside of you, the Holy Spirit to guide you, to be with you, to comfort you. Like that's the creator, the almighty, the majestic God. And he gave everything so that you and I have a chance to know him. And not just know him, but talk to him. Right, I love that Hebrews passage that we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence to receive mercy in our time of need. So he's not just powerful God and okay, I'm going to allow you to at least exist. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you my presence and I'm going to allow you to come into my throne room, stand before me and not be scared and not fear for your life like the Old Testament examples that we looked at. But to truly realize I can speak and communicate with the Almighty, the creator of the universe. The song we sang says that he's rich in love and he's slow to anger. But again, Acts 5 reminds us that he can do what he wants. He's the creator. He can do what he wants. We should fear God, but we should love him because he's given everything to love us. So that brings us back, and and as we move towards a conclusion, when we look back at Ananias and Sapphira, I mentioned that their sin wasn't that they didn't give everything that they had, their, their sin or the, the, the choice that led to the consequence of God's righteous judgment was that they had lied and they committed sin and God was going to remind them and the early church and those who are observing of the two things that I mentioned earlier that, that we shouldn't consider ourselves too important and we should not take sin lightly. If we get away from the seriousness of who God is and the seriousness of sin, then we miss out on the extent of the power of a relationship with God can have. We miss out on the impact that God can use you and I and the church to continue to be an example of his love and his mercy and his grace and to be the tool and the resource that he uses in our present day to tell more people about who he is and have them experience God's love and salvation. So I'm thankful that he doesn't strike us down for every careless thought that I have or careless word. I'm thankful that God in his, in his mercy um, doesn't end the life of somebody who has a selfish choice or, or a casual attitude towards even light sins, as we would call them, like a little lie or, or some gossip. He can, but I'm thankful that he doesn't. But we can lose sight of that sometimes, and I think the fear of the Lord brings us back and centers us. So, how can we respond? How can we respond in our lives to the fear of the Lord? And I think we come back and see the example of the early church. They were willing to give everything to follow God. You know, in Romans twelve, it talks about living our lives as as a, offering our lives as a living sacrifice to God. And this, what these believers were, were willing to do, they were willing to sell possessions and make sure that everyone had had what they needed, and they were willing to to invest their lives, their energy even at the expense of their reputations. Or oftentimes at of being disowned by family members, and we hear testimonies of those kind of things that people realize it's worth it to follow Jesus. So we're gonna give everything, and we're gonna deal with whatever that leads to, because I know nothing I can hang on to is gonna be worth more or more important than my faith in Jesus Christ. So we respond to the fear of the Lord by, be willing, by being willing to give everything that we have for him. That might mean that God tells you to sell something and give it to those who are in need. Do it. It might mean that you use your talents or your skills to serve others, to help people experience God in a different way. Do that. It might mean to to do something that you were not planning to do, but the fear of the Lord and an understanding of who he is and how he can use you allows us to get to that point where we're willing to leave those things and offer what we have to be a living sacrifice to give everything for the sake of the gospel. And I love how that early church was in one heart and one mind. They were pursuing that goal and they were making a difference and they were changing the world. And you and I are here today because of what they did and because they were obedient and they were willing to give everything. And here we are. Are we willing to do the same? So I want to invite you to join me in reminding yourself of how big God is. Remind yourself how incredible he is and and how small we are, but yet he's mindful of us and he has a purpose for us and he can use us and he can use you. So let's remind ourselves about the fear of the Lord and let it motivate us and lead us into a life of response to the fact that he can use us and make a difference. I want to invite you to pray with me. And as, as we close in prayer, we're going to lead into what we call the invitation time. And that's just the time if God is, is doing something in your heart and you wish to receive prayer. Or if you wish to, uh, to maybe even acknowledge God as, as your savior this morning. Maybe you've been putting him on the shelf and you, ha- you don't have that fear of God in your life. And, and something that was said this morning has stirred that up and you have a sense of need. That you need a relationship with that almighty creator God then this time as the music plays, uh, we invite you to come down and Eric is here and I'll be down there. If you'd like to come and receive prayer or, or come and talk to us, we'd love to speak with you. But let's close in, in prayer as we, as we consider these things. God, I just come to you humbled for who you are. Humbled by the fact that, that you, in your power and your might, still love us. And that we can come to you because of the way that you've made possible through Jesus and that we can come to you with confidence and approach you even, and, and, and that you give us that privilege. Help us not to take that lightly, God. Help us to live our lives with that, uh, that sense of respect and awe and awareness uh, that, that you are with us, you are aware of all things, God, and that you have the power to, to end this at any moment, but your mercy and your love gives us a chance to move forward and to live a life that matters and to help other people know what matters most, and that's a relationship with you through Jesus Christ, the only one who can forgive sins, the only one who can make it safe for us to be in your presence. God, I thank you for that. I pray for my own life to reflect the fear of the Lord. And I pray for our church to reflect the fear of the Lord. That we would not take you lightly, God that we would not consider ourselves more important than we are and that we would not sugarcoat sin, that we would strive for holiness and to make a true difference in the place that you have us. I pray this all in your precious and wonderful son, Jesus's name, amen.